A Dog with a Past, a commercial taken out of context, a not-so-secret secret admirer, and a deeply American game of chicken with a gallon of water. What you're about to witness is less a storytelling show and more a sacrifice of pain in exchange for unusual and embarrassing experiences that have been made bearable by distance and entertaining by perspective. Hello, handsomes, and welcome to Personally Speaking, a monthly show where your friends tell true stories to make you laugh. This month's yarns are knit together by the theme of strange, whether slightly supernatural or just plain crookedness. I will say that, as your host, um, I had a lot of anger and depression to exercise this month, and that came out in the show. The stage was, and always will be, the place for me to transform that energy into something that doesn't turn me into um, just a pile of liquid bile. Not to say that I don't love to live with darkness seething within me. It just makes it hard to go to work and stuff. Um, So, prepare yourselves for that. Um, It's been edited, though. Been edited down. So, don't tweet me. Anyway, let's start the show. We've got for you tonight, today, good morning, etc., whatever. Jen Curcio, Julia Hayes, Lizzie Cooperman, Ruby Cooper, Roddy Gupta, and Josh Fadum for you this month. Let's get started. One, I am clinically repressed. Two, there is hair under my arms. We're going to get through it. And three, I really need this show to work out. So I'm going to need you guys to start clapping right now. Yeah. Like, it's, it's really important to me and to my parents. They spent $20,000 of their own money investing in building this theater just for my show. So it's really important that it works out. Um, we're probably going to make, like, at least 100 back tonight. So... Um, guys, who's never been to this show before? Clap if you've never been to the show before. All right. That's a pleasant sound. Uh, I'm apologizing for what's about to happen. Sorry about that. Um, you're never going to get the time back. Personally Speaking is a show that is based on the idea that your friends tell the best stories, they know how to make you laugh the best, and anyone who's a friend of mine is a friend of yours. You have no choice in the matter, so let's get to it. There are three rules. Suggestions, guidelines, we'll call them boundaries if you want to get personal about it, and I do. Uh, The first rule is that every story has to be about five minutes, no more than ten. There's only so many minutes that I want to look at someone talking, unless it's me, in which case I'll spend many moments in front of the mirror um, discussing whether or not we really need to just get our shit together and go to the show tonight, Christiana. Um, The second rule probably the most important rule is that every story has to be true to the best of your perspective. So meaning, as always, as I always point out, uh, your heroes are our heroes, your villains are our villains, etc. Your order of events is your order of events. Time isn't real, it's a construct, we all know that. Um, Finally, and perhaps least importantly, it does have to be funny. Make us laugh, doesn't matter if it's a suicide attempt, just make us laugh. I will, at some point in this show, attempt to kill myself uh, with, with this very microphone cord, and you will all laugh. It will be great. We're going to enjoy it. And as I said, we're going to get through it together. I have six, count them, six wonderful storytellers for you tonight. They are comedians, friends of mine, interesting people, 
fantastic, um, I'm sure in, in many interesting ways, messed up people. We've got Jen Curcio, Julia Hayes, Lizzie Cooperman, Woo! Ruby Cooper, yeah! because Cooperman without a man, life gets better. Roddy Gupta and Josh Fadum. Put your hands together. Um, I, uh, the, the theme of the show, it's important to have a theme at the very least, just, just to give an idea. It's not meant to like be a restriction. I'm not trying to like hinder, like hinder your artistry or whatever. It's just an idea. Give you ideas. If I tell you to tell me the funniest story you know, you're going to stare at me for a while and be like, um... You know what? I, I, you know, when you put me on the spot, I don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't, nothing comes to mind. Uh, but when I, uh, when I ask you and I say, what's the funniest story you know about a weird smell, something will come to mind, uh, which is also something we'll get into tonight. Um, there was, in fact, a time when my job has coincidentally housed a homeless person for well over a month and a half. We'll get into that tonight. Uh, tonight's theme is strange. Uh, I have encountered a lot of strangeness as of late in that I have started taking the subway to work. Um, the public transportation has inspired a lot of new ideas and games for me to play, specifically, what's that smell? <laughs> and how hard can I flirt with someone without making any sort of direct eye contact? Um, it's very much, uh, very much like the serpent in the second Harry Potter book and film. You cannot look directly at them. My game is that I look at the window so I can still see what's going on entirely without ever having to make eye contact. Thank you. Thank you. Came up with that one all on my own. I do slightly turn my hips in their direction. I, I, you know what's perfect, okay? Um, hmm, hmm, hmm. All right. So you guys want to hear, I assume about all the interesting things, all the strange things, all the weird things that have happened to everybody else. So let's get right to it. Your first storyteller coming to the stage is a friend of the show. She's been on many times before. She keeps it real, by which I mean real queer. Get on up here. Jen Curcio, put your hands together. Um, so I had a girlfriend. That's not strange. But then we broke up and I found out that she had another girlfriend while she and I were dating. And that wasn't even that strange. But then her other girlfriend started stalking me. That is strange. <laughs> like she would come to my shows and just glare at me. She would be at restaurants where I was eating dinner and just glare at me. It was really fucking strange so finally she came up to me uh, right before one of my shows and she shook my hand and she, she said to me she pulled me in close and she said I think you know who I am and I said I do thank you so much for supporting my comedy enjoy the show had a fantastic show <laughs> she comes up to me after and she goes man I really thought I'd fuck you up and I was like no did you enjoy the show? And she was like, oh, I loved it. Can you give me a call sometime? And I was like, yeah, sure. This is really weird, but yeah, okay. And so I started to get really paranoid, and I was like, what is it that she's going to tell me? Like, should I actually call her? What if, what if I have some sort of STD? Like, I don't know it yet, but she knows because she's been with the same person I've been with. So I have all this dental work done, uh, I broke a tooth eating granola at my desk. 
Because I'm lame like that. My, my work has fruit and fiber Friday, so they give us fruit. <laughs> and they give us granola, and my tooth broke right during it. So I'm, like, all messed up. I have, like, Novocaine. I'm, like, dripping, like, fucking sliming out the side of my mouth. And she calls me, and I'm like, hey, wh- like, what do you want to tell me? Please just tell me. I'm in no mood. And she's, like, screwing around about it. She's like, well, you know, I just want to see how you're doing. And I'm like, pretty bad. I broke a tooth. And so finally, like, I'm like, please, like, I have a pounding headache. I just want to get off the phone. And she's like, did you know you were fucking my girlfriend? And I was like, oh, you mean you were fucking my girlfriend? (laughs) And it was one of those classic, like, you got your peanut butter and my chocolate. No, you got my chocolate and your peanut butter moments. (laughs) Super cute. And so she's like, do you want to talk about this? Like, I feel like we have a lot in common. And I was like, we slept with the same person. That's all we have in common. So I was like, sure, do you want to meet at a coffee shop? And she's like, no, I want you to come to my house. And I was like, that's cool. <laughs> I, I was like, I, uh, I enjoy weird things. I like to um, roll the dice in life. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I was like, what's your address? Fuck it. So I get her address. And I tell my roommate, I'm like, look, nobody knows that I'm doing this, but I'm going to go to my girlfriend's other girlfriend's house. (laughs) And my roommate's like, you've lost your damn mind. And I was like, no, it's going to be fun. It's going to be really great. Um, We're just going to talk. And so I get there, and I'm I'm walking from my car to her apartment, and I start to really panic. Like, I'm like, she's going to murder me. She has all the rights. Like, when we talked on the phone, she was like, I loved her so much, you ruined my life. And I was like, you ruined my life. (laughs) So she's like, I hate you so much. Please come to my house. (laughs) So of course I'm going to go. I feel terrible. I've ruined this woman's life. Like, they live together. (laughs) I don't know how my girlfriend, like, snuck around between the two of us. That's so much talent right there. Uh, so I go to her house, and I make eye contact with every single person I see down the street. Like, old man doing lunges. I'm like, hey, I'm Jen Curcio. I'm going to this apartment now. Everybody. The guy, I get in the elevator. The Domino's man is in the elevator with me. And I'm like, it's Saturday night, August 14th. I'm Jen. Remember this face. <laughs> So I get up to her door, and I'm, like, shaking. Like, I'm, like, this is how I die. Like, my mother is, she loves fucking murder shows. She loves the history ID or whatever. So I'm, like, my mom's going to fucking love this, but she's going to hate it. So I walk in, and she's, like, I made us dinner. And I'm, like, she poisoned the food. (laughs) I bet you anything, that's how I die. It's poison. So we sit down, and I'm smarter than that. So I was like, switch plates with me, bitch. Switch plates with me. And she's like, why? And I'm like, because I know you poisoned this. And she's like, I swear to you, I did not poison you. And I'm like, please, for my... And then I was like, wait, I'm going to take a bite of both. Because you probably knew that I was going to do this. So she takes a bite of both. I wait about five, ten minutes. She's fine. I start to eat my chicken and my rice. It's fine. Then we start to talk, and we start to figure out, like, how 
our girlfriend got away with it. Like, she would pick a fight with one of us and leave and go to the other one, then pick a fight with that person and go back to the other one. So then we just obviously, the next best thing to do is start making out. (laughs) So we started making out, and I was like, this is all wrong. Like, this is so wrong. This is messed up. I'm not this type of woman. I'm going to come back on Monday. (laughs) So I'd leave because I had some shit to do. And uh, that Monday, I go back, and I'm like, maybe she's going to kill me. I don't know. She had her chance. She didn't take it. I'll do it. So, of course, like, I, my mom is from the South, so she, like, brought me up with, like, very strict morals and manners. So I'm like, you've prepared a meal for me. I will prepare a meal for you. So we, like, started to develop this weird relationship where, like, we'd make each other meals and have sex. <laughs> Probably not the best choice, but that's what happened in my life. And um, basically, like, one night, like, as we were in the throes of, I wouldn't call it lovemaking, but as we were in the throes of revenge fucking, uh, she got a phone call, and it was our, well, I mean, she's my ex, but it's her girlfriend. So she, like, gets a phone call from our ex-girlfriend, and it's, like, very apparent. Like, I was like, put it on speaker. I was like, if you have nothing to be ashamed of, put it on speaker. So she puts it on speaker, and it's like, clearly they're still together. And she's like, are you fucking Jen? And I'm just like... (gasps) (laughs) I'll see you never. (laughs) And I, like, peeked out the window, and I fucking ran down in my car, got in the car, and I, like, hauled ass home. Like, they were totally still together, like, doing some weird head trip, like both having sex with me, shit was crazy. So, like, if you suspect your girlfriend is che- or your boyfriend or whoever is cheating on you, seriously, they probably are. I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't do it. That's my story. Uh, I've, like, a couple other people, probably, I don't know if you guys have heard of this show, but there's um, Stranger Things is a television show that has recently um, aired on the internet. And there's something about it like I'm very, I'm very inspired by his character Eleven, like her, her goodness and her patience, and just like that's me. I'm like it's not me. I'm like I wouldn't shave my head, but like that's me. Uh, and then, uh, then she does like she does like time after time. She like saves those boys' asses. She like she is, like you made all jokes. She's clearly like an eleven out of ten, yeah. But like she saves those guys' asses time after time, thanklessly, thanklessly again and again. I started rewatching the show and I realized like if 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 it were me, if I were actually eleven, at some point I'd be like, you know what, Mike? Why don't you fight the fucking demogorgon for once in your goddamn life? <laughs> you know what you're not no, you're never gonna do it. And you know why? Because you're a coward, Mike. But I knew that when I married you. <laughs> On our wedding day. I was so so just morally disgusted I didn't eat for weeks. Finally ate the cake. Shit came out green. It's disgusting. No nutrients at all. But what was I going to do? Tell my parents I just made a $60,000 mistake and call off the caterer? God, no! Of course not! The real bloodthirsty monster is you, Mike! It's you! But the real coward is me. And about, like, the kids in Stranger Things, like, they never get to take a nap! 
When do they sleep? We keep making them work to make memes for us and shit. When do they sleep? They got 12-hour days on set. That's fucking nuts. I just, I don't know how you, I don't know, you do 12-hour days on set, then you hand out, like, PB&Js at the Academy Awards show, and then you rap the lyrics to Monster, and then you kill yourself or something. I don't know. There's not enough time for all those things. They have to have time to be depressed children so they can grow into depressing adults. I just, it's important to have time to be depressed as a child. Um, coming up next to the stage, uh, Julia Hayes, everybody. Put your hands together. I have to admit, I came to the show tonight and, uh, I had, like, an unexpected sexual encounter, like, a half hour before, and I totally forgot what story I was gonna do. But it's Friday, and that's what happens. Um, when you're an adult and you're like, if I can leave work a half hour early, budget it in do a storytelling show, grab a lift, not know what's going on. Like, that's what you do. This is 29. It feels great. Um, I'm going to talk to you about a problem that I feel like we all suffer from, and I think a lot of people label it as strange, but we need to open up about it, and that problem is bathroom emergencies. They're happening all the time, (laughs) probably to people in this room, maybe today. They happen to me constantly. There have been several times in my life I have had a situation where I just want to leave and start a new life, and they all relate to something that's happened in a bathroom to me. Um, And one of those times, I was living in Argentina as an exchange student. I um, had a lot of trouble adjusting when I moved to South America to, like, the water and the food, and I was constantly getting like food poisoning problems. Uh, And my friend Kira, the only other American exchange student in that town, and I kind of had each other's backs about it and would just like help one another. We were very aware of where public bathrooms were. We would carry spare toilet paper on us because like some bathrooms down there don't have toilet paper and it's a learning experience. And we just would like look out for one another and be like, the bathroom at the local, like, restaurant doesn't have toilet paper, but, like, the school across the street does. And we were just, like, ready because we were just constantly suffering from, like, very horrendous IBS. And because we didn't know the vocab for it, we really weren't getting the right medication for any of these problems. So it's just, like, you deal with it and you learn while you're in South America, like, just how to adjust to a life of um, irregularity when you're thrown in a new culture. Uh, So one day we went hiking together. Um, My exchange mom, who I lived with, my exchange student mom, knew that I liked hiking, and she set me up with a local hiking group and dropped me off on a Saturday morning with Kira and said, you girls are going to go with this hiking group today um, on, like, a little day trip. So we packed a mini backpack with a warm sandwich and a bottle of water. There's, like, a lot of, like, warm lunch meat sandwiches Uh, in the town where we were living, that was like the thing that people get that you pack for lunch every day for school. And it's kind of like a ticking time bomb situation. Like, you know, once you eat it, it's like a matter of time till you have to find a bathroom. Uh, But that's what we had to pack. So we just brought that and we were like, it's a a quick trip. We'll be fine. Uh, So we get to this little hiking group that we've been set to uh, go on an excursion with. And we notice when we get there, first of all, we're exchange students in high school. So we're both like 17 years old. Everyone in the group is like 35 to 45, which is fine, uh, and has like very serious hiking stuff with them, which should have been my first sign as to how long the hike was going to be, is they had like the big backpacking type backpacks with like changes of clothes 
and the little like stakes you put in the ground. And again, mini backpacks were in. We had the mini backpack with one sandwich. We we're like, we'll be fine. We'll be good. Um, so we take off on this hike heading toward a mountain range. And four hours into the hike, I turn to Kira and I'm like, I don't know like if this is a day trip or what exactly we should be <laughs> expecting. Like no one's really explained anything to us. Everyone was very kind down there, but I think a lot of times they just assumed like they'd give us like the basic amount of information instead of having to like overly explain everything to both of us. So we were just told like hike, bring one meal, you'll be good to go. Uh, so several hours in, I'm just like, I really don't know if we're going to be gone for a day or days. At this point, there's no indication and no one's really giving us any information. Um, so we start uh, going up the side of this mountain and as we get midway through, um, the rain starts and everyone opens up their giant backpacks and has like windbreakers and changes of clothes. At this point, we kind of ration the sandwich and decide like our sandwich is wet, we should eat the wet lunch meat sandwich because... We don't want it once it's soup. So we just, like, finish it at that point. No one offers us any clothing, but we're, like, we get it. We're fine. We just look like two tourists who haven't, like, planned accordingly. So at this point, we're kind of, like, ostracized from the group. And we just keep continuing on. And we get to the top of the mountain, which is good, um, because my hopes were high that we were going to be done soon. Uh, unfortunately, that's when things started uh, come to come crashing down. Um, which is I looked at my friend Kira and said, like, something's wrong. Uh, I have, like, I have to go to a bathroom. And there's no indication of anywhere that we can go. Again, we're, like, in the mountains. There's nothing nearby. We're walking through a cow pasture, but then we're back into the wilderness, and we're, like, really not sure if we're going to hit civilization at any point. And the group is starting to just flow ahead of us and not really, like, talk to us anymore anyway. So we did what we do in this situation when you're hiking, which is, like, you got to find a spot, you know? And we're soaked through in the rain. So I, I go over to the side of the like trail that we're at and I find a hidden spot and I go to the bathroom in the cold, in the rain and then I use a bandana and it's like the lowest moment of my life. <laughs> and I'm just like, I feel like a dirty, wet animal and I just don't have anywhere to go. Like when you get to that point where you're like, does it even matter if you go here or like on yourself or at all? Where you're just like, I just look like a monster. Why even care? But I wanted to like persevere and make it through this. And I know at some point we would make it through. And so I just went off to the side and I came back to Kira. And she was like, Do you, are you doing okay? And I was like, yeah, I think, I think I'm good. We should catch up to the group. And we come around this, this hedge where I've just like used the bathroom and like left this scrap of bandana. And then I look up and I just see that I'm on the front lawn of a beautiful country home. And there's like a wrought iron fence and a big bright red door. And it's like a family's beautiful country home. And I've just taken a shit on their front yard. <laughs> and I just feel so bad. And I was like, oh my God, like, I don't know if anyone saw me. And I'm not even, I wasn't even embarrassed for the act of it, but I felt like ashamed, like not only for myself, but my country. Cause I was like, if there's a family in there, they're just looking out like, who are these two American assholes <laughs> shitting in front of our home where we raise our kids? And I was just like horrified. And I look around and I'm like, we're in a neighborhood now. Like I couldn't wait 
another minute to turn a corner and see there's a neighborhood of homes that could have helped and probably wanted to. Instead of having Julia Hayes from New Jersey shitting on their yard, they probably would have wanted to open their door to me. Um, so I look back and forth and I realize, like, okay, I guess we, we'll just keep going. I don't know, like, we'll just continue on. So we walk through this neighborhood and my exchange mom picks me up about 20 minutes later at a corner and that's apparently where the hike was ending. Uh, and I take a ride home with her, and she looks at both of us and says, like, how was your hike today, girls, uh, in Spanish? And I just looked back at her and said, um, muy bien. Because <laughs> that's all that I knew how to say. Thank you so much, guys. Give it up for your host, Christiane. Do you guys ever notice, this is strange to me, how often men are all about, like, giving you your freedom? <laughs> Did I fucking ask for my freedom? No, because it's not yours to give, sweetheart. <laughs> Here's the thing. When you tell me that you're giving me my freedom, what I actually find myself experiencing looks something more like this. I think freedom you imagine like me going out to the bars and meeting interesting men that I fucking then never call again. Freedom looks like this. is me in my apartment for most of the last three weeks. Freedom also uh, tends to look like uh, a little bit like, like being a goth in that um, I wore the same black pants. Uh, there are three pairs of black pants that I own and three black t-shirts. I made them uh, interchangeable. They are not. I wore them uh, on and off for three weeks. Three pairs of pants, three shirts. That's what freedom looks like, kids. Um, but yeah, they're uh, really into giving me my freedom. Um, I've, I've realized that that's not really what they mean. Whenever somebody says that, they're like, but this is what's best for you. I'm like, how would you know? <laughs> you didn't ask. Anyways, that is, you know, nothing personal. I'm not thinking of uh, anybody. Anyways... <laughs> So, guys, um, there's another storyteller coming to the stage. She's super funny. You're going to love her. Put your hands together for Lizzie Cooperman. Thank you so much for having me in this open space. Is this an open space where I can be sex positive? <laughs> no, I really thank you for having me. Uh, so there was a time in my life where I didn't feel good about myself. I'm sure no one else has ever felt that way. Uh, totally unrelatable. But I, I just did not feel good about myself. I graduated from college with a degree in poetry in performance, and I was living in my sister's basement in Minnesota. My one job was to put was to mow the lawn, and I couldn't figure out how to like put the gas in the lawnmower, so I just like gave up. Uh, I was working at the Pottery Barn. I had two strikes against me: one because I spilled a maxi melt on my pants and couldn't afford to get new khakis. Uh, the only thing I really felt good about was the fact that I tended to get triple word scores in Scrabble. That was pretty much it. Um, so I was staying at my sister's house, and I had an interview at Cutco, a group interview. Do you guys know what Cutco is? You do. It's like a pyramid scheme. Like you do. <laughs> we have some. Have you seen that? Like how they can like cut a penny with a scissors? Is that why you're, where the enthusiasm is coming from? Because that's like their claim to fame is that you can like cut a penny with a pair of Cutco scissors. 
But I went to this group interview, and it was so horrible and so corporate. Like, I went there, and they were, like, blasting We Will Rock You. Like, they're, like, tin, like, trophy case full of tin trophies was vibrating. And we're all just sitting there, and then they have, like a, like, a success story come out, and he's, like, 13 years old, and he's, like, has braces. And he's, like, how many people here have ever had a paycheck with a comma in it? And everyone's just like, oh my, like, we all just felt like, we were like poor farmers, like, does he mean a thousand dollars? And we were all just whispering. It was me and like everyone, it was like me and like a lot of like single parents who worked at Denny's and we were all like, we need this money. Like, we need to be here right now. And then at the end of the kid's speech, the regional manager came up uh, and he goes, does anyone have any questions? And I raised my hand and I'm like, yeah. Isn't it kind of dangerous to go into a stranger's house with a set of knives? Uh, But I still got a second interview, uh, and it was happening the next day. And at the time, I just started doing stand-up, and I was in Minnesota, and I was performing at this Mexican restaurant. And at this Mexican restaurant, there was... I'm not even going to say a regular. I'm going to say this guy was a legend. (laughs) His name is Fancy Ray, uh, he's incredible. His eyebrows look like, you know when you write your name on an invitation, you do that like swirl underneath? He like painted those on his face for eyebrows every day. And his whole act rhymed and it was like, my, my, my. Like, would you guess that I have sapphires in between my thighs by looking in my eyes? And you're like, isn't that like a Maya Angelou poem? Uh, but he was incredible. So one night he got off stage and he stopped by my table and he considered me for a moment. And what came out of Fancy Ray's mouth was like the best thing I had heard since I graduated college. I couldn't even believe it. He looked at me and he goes, do you want to be in a commercial? And I was like, a commercial? Like, oh my God, like I just imagine, like, like that, that's almost what I went to school for. Like, imagine calling my mom, like, yeah, I didn't even have to audition. I was discovered at Pepito's Mexican restaurant. And then he had some not-so-great news. He goes, it pays $200, no residuals. He goes, and can you do your makeup a little bit better than it is right now? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, okay. He goes, I want you to go to this address tomorrow in St. Paul, Minnesota, and bring a tube top. So I went home... (laughs) to my apartment I'm like okay this is happening I'm gonna be in a commercial I need to find my tube top like this was like the best thing that had happened to me at this point since graduating I was like okay I have my red tube top this was like I didn't even have a computer so I like went to Kinko's and like printed out directions and the next day I drive to this like seedy neighborhood in St. Paul Minnesota and the commercial is taking place at this video store and Fancy Ray is the director And this is what he directs me to do. So the first shot of the commercial is this. I start over here in the video store, and I go, Minnesota's number one source for movies is video lease. And he really wants me to, like, shut the hip out like that. The second frame is me standing in this little cubby, and I have to go, we have the biggest, uh, or, oh, yeah, Minnesota, okay. And then I'm supposed to stand in the cubby and go, comedy, drama, and much, much more. And he kept directing me. He was like, and much, much more. And I'm like, I couldn't tell he wanted it to be sexy because it was Fancy Ray doing it so it didn't translate. So he's like, just wink, okay? He's like, just wink. 
So I was like, and much, much more. But I can't, it just looked like a butterfly had died on my face. I can't wink. Uh, And then the third shot was me sitting on top of the counter like this. And I go, "Uh, we have the biggest selection in the Twin Cities metro area. Whatever you're looking for can be found at Video Lease. I remember him going, can be found at Video Lease. And then I had to go, we're located on 94 East and White Bear Avenue. (laughs) So about a month went by. uh, And I noticed some strange things started to happen. I would walk into a room or go to the drugstore. And I felt like people were looking at me like, you know when someone has like toilet paper attached to their shoe? Or just these kinds of looks like this. Um... My next-door neighbor at the time would come outside when I parked my car and watch me go into my sister's house. And one day, he turned to his wife and goes, yep, that's her. (laughs) Then, one day I was at CVS, and his wife came up to me and said, excuse me, are you the woman in that commercial? And I was like, oh my God, you saw the commercial? And she goes, yes, yes, I did, and walked away. And I was like, what happened in this commercial? Like, what happened? Like, did I... I had no idea. So then, one night I was performing at a comedy club, and there was a TV in the bar area. And I did my set, and I got off stage, and I came out, and this guy goes, oh my God, he goes, that girl? And he pointed at me, and then he pointed at the TV, and he goes, is that girl? And I looked up on the TV, and I'm like, oh my God, it's my commercial. And the first, like, shot was exactly as I remembered it. I didn't look great. <laughs> I was like, Minnesota's number one source for movies is video lease. <laughs> and then suddenly it just starts flashing. X, 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 hot, hot, hot. And I'm like, oh, my God, no, no, no. Then the second shot, I'm standing in the cubby, and I'm like, we have the biggest selection in the Twin Cities metro area. Comedy, drama, and much, much more. And then all of a sudden it starts scrolling. It's like girl on girl, butt plugs. And I'm like, oh my, it's like the beginning of Star Wars. Where I was like, does that say anal beads? I can't even tell. It's like moving so quickly. And then the final shot, I'm down here on the floor and I'm like, whatever you're looking for can be found at video leads. And it says, 24, or it says four hour long DVDs, $24.95. I was like, oh my God, I have to, I have to call my family. (laughs) So the next day I called my mom and I'm like, mom, I'm in a commercial. And she goes, I know. (laughs) And I was like, why didn't you say anything? And she goes, because I was ashamed. And that was my life for a while. I was the girl in the porn commercial. It was on, to me, in my eyes, it was the only commercial that was ever on television. It was like around the time where Jimmy Kimmel became popular and was on every night after Jimmy Kimmel. I was definitely that person in that commercial. My friend, I did a student film for my friend's daughter's school, and she said when they played the commercial, everyone was like, oh my God, that's the woman from the dirty commercial. Like, kids recognized it in Minnesota. Um, And then I went to my sister's wedding, and I thought I was safe from it. And I was, like, sitting. I was a bridesmaid. And I was sitting at a table of, like, older people. And all of a sudden, there was just this 
massive silence when I sat down. And one of my older relatives goes, did you know that you can make money playing Scrabble on a competitive level? And her husband was like, Dolores. And she was like, well, if she has a talent. She remembered I played Scrabble. (laughs) So it was my life for a while. And I kind of got used to it. And time went on. And if there was one saving grace to the story, it was that when I was in this little cubby, um, Fancy Ray had me take a movie from the shelf and hold it up uh, when I said comedy, drama, and much, much more. And I chose adaptation. (laughs) (laughs) And it always kind of comforted me that if someone was watching this commercial, they would be like, oh, that sucks that this girl was in a commercial for porn, but at least she has... Good taste in movies. <laughs> Thank you. Beautiful, excellent, beautiful, excellent. Um, the I feel like every every hometown has heroes. That's a wonderful one. Fancy Ray is an excellent addition to to that folklore. Um, to give you a very specific idea of what where I'm from, um, the most famous person in my town was a guy who was only called Powers. His special skill was that he was really, really good at DDR. Dance, dance, revolution. The one that was inside the Regal Cinemas Theater. Not a fancy arcade. Just happened to be really good at the dance, dance, revolution in the Regal Cinemas. And we all worshipped him, to be frank. (laughs) I mean, I haven't forgot the guy, so honestly, it's kind of cool. I'm not good at that. I'm like, I'm embarrassingly bad at that game. That's actually a really cool thing to be good at. Uh, anyways, we're going to keep the show moving along. We've got a lot of extra talented, wonderful people that we're going to keep getting to. Uh, this next storyteller, I just saw her at a storytelling show at Muse on 8th and was so totally bowled over that I immediately just said, like, please, please be on my show. And then I was really bad emailing her back for a long time because I was experiencing depression and I tried to cover it up. And I'm sorry, Ruby. Welcome Ruby Cooper to the stage. So this... Uh thinking Halloween and I was thinking this the story is has been you know just there so I thought oh I have a strange story when I saw the the theme when I was a little kid um, I grew up in an, uh, an Irish bar I lived in a flat above an Irish bar in western Pennsylvania in a little town when I was a little kid I used to climb, get sneak out of my own bed at night and go into my grandpa's bed. And I'd say, Grandpa, Grandpa, tell me a story. And he would tell me these wonderful, he would talk about Ireland. I'd say, I want to hear about Ireland. And he sat, and and he would tell me that uh, about, he said, I, when they when they fought the British, he said the British would come off the boats and they would all be in lines and they would have this uh, red coats all clean and and they would have these big powerful horses with the long legs and and fancy halters and everything and they looked so beautiful and they would come off the horses and up through the valleys and and he said and the Irish who didn't have a goddamn thing would be. <laughs> Would, would be 
would be hiding behind the rocks and the bushes and the trees. And he said, and they would just wait till the, wait till the, the, the British got close enough. And he said, and they would come roaring out behind in all different directions, stark fucking naked. He said, and their hair would be blowing. He said, and scared the hell out. They didn't even have to do anything. They wouldn't even need to shoot them. They would, the British would just scatter because they'd never seen anything like it <laughs> in their lives. And he said, uh, and, and he said, but the, ter- the and the poor horses, the big long legs, they would break their legs, and the guys would come, fall, the the soldiers would fall, and and the and the and the Irish men would just club them. As and I said, oh, that's a good story, Grandpa. Thank you so much. <laughs> and I thought, wow, you know, I'm I'm really proud of my people, and. <laughs> So, and then he would tell me other stories about the fairies, the fairies that did things at night, mischievous stuff. But not too, uh, uh, several years ago, a couple, another, about a decade ago, I decided to go to Ireland and look for kind of the spirit of my ancestors and, and ship's logs and things. And I, uh, I, uh, everybody's from the West Coast, from Ga- the Galway uh, area. And so I went there, and, oh, I know what. I, rent, I rented a car. I rented a Ford about this big and, and drove from Dublin all the way up around the top of Ireland and back down the West Coast. And when I, when I got to Connemara, I wanted to ride the ponies. This is why I went to Connemara. It had been raining for three days. I didn't even know. I knew I was in the province of, or whatever they call it, of Connemara, but I, I didn't know. I couldn't see anything. It was so friggin' foggy, and you couldn't, I couldn't even see in front of the, you know, like the front of the little car. And finally, I saw some lights, and I thought, oh, my God, it's a pub. I'm going there. So I just followed the lights, and I did, but it was about 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock, maybe 5 o'clock in the afternoon, I don't know. But it was just, when I, as soon as I got, just about as soon as I got to closer to this, what turned out to be a little town, the fog lifted, and I saw this lake that was all along. You could see I'd been traveling along uh, down the, the edge of a lake, actually, the whole time. But I didn't know that because I couldn't see anything. And there were no signs that I had no idea. Maybe there were signs, but I couldn't see them because of the fog. If you've ever driven in fog and you're going like this, you know, like that'll help or something. <laughs> and and so, I, so I, 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 the fog was lifting, and I, and sure enough, there was a pub, and so I thought, well, I need a I need a couple of shots of Jameson, <laughs> and so I pulled off, <clears throat> I pulled off in, and parked the car, and by now, you know, the fog had lifted enough that it was up here someplace, I guess, and <laughs> and I start I opened the door to the car and. There was this black and white dog there. And I said, oh, hi. And I 
petted its head. And these are classic Irish dogs, these black and white shaggy things. I think they're like, uh, I don't know what, whatever. They're sheep dogs. And, um, and, and so, and I said, hi, nice to see you, and shut the door. And the dog did a little woof, woof. And I said, yeah, I, I said, nice to see you. And I'm going to go have a Jameson. <laughs> you know, you're too young or too short or you're a dog, so I'm not taking it with me. And so the dog said, woof. I said, woof, to you too, baby. But, you know, and so it started walking away. And I thought, okay, goodbye. And it turned around and went, whoo. I thought, what the hell? So it, you know, it leaves. And then it comes back and it did this twice. And I said, all right, I'll go with you. (laughs) So I followed the dog down this little alleyway. And I'm walking along behind it. And it would turn around just to make sure I was there, and I always was, and I got, you know, about a half a block. The, the, uh, there were uh, buildings on both sides of us, but maybe about four or five buildings on the right-hand side, all of a sudden there were none, and it was just this um, big, thick stone, old, old, old stone wall, like a seawall almost, that went up along the lake. And I thought, wow, this is really nice. And the sun was starting just to set. And I, it was a little uh, in, yellow. And I thought, damn, this is it's so nice after three days of rain and not having any idea where you are or what's going on. And so this dog stopped and turned around and went, I go, okay, this is where we are. I, I'm, I'm with you, babe. And, <laughs> and the dog went toward the seawall, jumped up on the seawall, and sat down. I said, okay. Uh, I went over to the seawall and climbed up on it and sat beside the dog and saw... Well, it was one of the most beautiful sunsets I've ever seen. It, through fog and colors and, oh, my God, it was, I don't even know. It was just magical. And the dog and I sat there side by side, never saying a word to each other. <laughs> no woofing, no bullshit, just watching a sunset with a dog, a strange dog. And when the sun set, when the the actual sun went below the horizon, and the dog looked at me, like, it's it's over, (laughs) and jumped off the seawall. So I followed him and walked back. And when we got to the street, the dog kind of went that way. And I went in to the pub and sat down. And I'm thinking, boy, that was strange. That was a strange encounter. And I saw, and, and I 
got my Jameson, and I said to the guy next door, sitting next to me, and I said, man, I just had a strange encounter with a black and white dog that took me to see the sunset. And he said, oh, he must have recognized you. I said, what? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess he did. Maybe I've been here before, or maybe it was my grandfather. recently went to Ireland. Uh, <laughs> what a magnificent bunch of lunatics. <laughs> I have never... Okay, I, my, my brother um, is probably like escaping my family, but he's in Dublin right now. Um, he's finishing school. Uh, so he's, he's in Dublin, and he's doing a creative writing program, yada, yada. Uh, so we visited him. It was delightful. I've never in my whole life seen an entire city run towards a square inch of sunlight in my life before I visited Dublin. It was like, it was literally like, imagine, like, okay, they get as excited about, like, this much sun as we get irritated about 65 or below. Like, anything when it's like 65, we're like, you know what, I'm... I should have brought a sweater. This is bullshit. It's 64 today. It's 64. It's supposed to be 90 next week. Um, but yeah, the, like the, it had been raining for three days straight, pouring. It was beautiful. It was like exactly the, the, like the European trip of your dreams that, or your like Tumblr feed or whatever. And it, would, like, it was like, it was beautiful. And then the sun came out for exactly 14 minutes. And <laughs> every single person in the vicinity all went straight into the park. They all, like, I saw people, like, unfurl blankets, sit down. Like, it was, it was incredible. Um, the best thing, the best thing in general about, uh, in general about Europe, but also about Ireland, Ireland in particular, Ireland doesn't forget shit. Um, Ireland is the friend who has not let go of the breakup. Uh, I have nev- never in my life, and yet at the same time, like, they have, they have right to be. They've, they've got seniority over us. Like, imagine being a European, coming to America, like, oh, your buildings are... 300 years old? It's adorable. It's a good try. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It <laughs> kills me. Um, uh, let's see. Who have we got next? We've got uh, an absolute delight. Uh, I'm going to pretend that she's a close friend of mine for the purposes of this show. Put your hands together for Radhi Gupta. I have a giant zit in the middle of my forehead, you guys. And I have to say, when you're an Indian girl, the last place you want a giant zit is in the middle of your forehead. <laughs> Um, so speaking of zits, uh, high school. So I, uh, I was a pretty good kid in high school. I was in student government. I was in the National Honor Society and all that shit. So I was a little confused when at the end of my sophomore year, right before lunch, I got called down to the principal's office. Now when I got down to the office, the secretary was smiling at me. So I was like, all right, nothing bad happened. No one died. My car didn't get towed. Like Everything's okay. So I was like, what's up? And she goes, you have a delivery. And she pointed to her left, where sitting on the counter was a little glass vase with six gorgeous white roses in it. And I was like, who sent them? And she goes, read the card. And I could tell by the the smirk on her face that the nosy bitch had already read the card herself. (laughs) But I dug the card out and written in perfect florist handwriting, it said, to Rati, from 
your secret admirer. And I was like, oh my God, I've never had a secret admirer before. I've never had any sort of admirer before. You see, until that point in time, I had never had a boyfriend or a reciprocated crush or even a real kiss that didn't involve a bottle or a closet. And the only time I had ever gotten flowers was was from my mom after ballet recitals. But she would take the flowers, put them in a vase, and use them as a living room centerpiece. So I had never been the subject of such a sweet, loving, selfless gesture. So my, my heart just like flew out of my chest with the thought that someone out there loved me and loved me so much they would send me roses at school for everyone to see. Now I... I unfortunately had to leave the roses in my office because I was one of those kids that was always over-prepared for class. Like, I always had, like, twice as many books in my arms as necessary. So I, as much as I wanted to, like, flaunt the roses all over school, I couldn't. So I had to leave them in the office. But as soon as I got to my lunch table, I told my friends all about the roses. And I was, like, bragging and bragging and bragging that I had a secret admirer. And then together, we tried to figure out who the secret admirer was. Maybe it was Adam, my date from the Sadie Hawkins dance. Or, or maybe it was one of the boys I met at science camp last summer. Or, or maybe it was Joe Alverson. So Joe was the student body president, soon to be valedictorian, and on all of the academic teams with me. He was cute and smart and taught to me voluntarily. I was completely obsessed with him. For about a week, there was this rumor going around school that he was going to ask me to the prom. But he ended up going with his best friend's girlfriend's best friend instead. So I thought maybe this was like Joe's way of apologizing for going to the prom with Aaron fucking Steen instead of me. But as I sat there at lunch daydreaming about how I was going to put the roses next to my bed, next to a picture of Joe, my new boyfriend, my best friend chimed in with her theory. You know, I bet the roses are from Brendan, Dan, and Paul. Now I know. Getting sent white roses from not one but three boys sounds like the freaking dream, but not when it's Brendan, Dan, and Paul. These were the guys who... Ever since my parents got me a new car for my birthday, my 16th birthday, they were on a mission to trash it. So they would take, like, McDonald's wrappers and a bunch of fast food trash and, like, leave it on top of my car all the time. Uh, One night, they took a bunch of pads and tampons, dipped them in ketchup, and plastered them around my doors. Um, But their, their best prank was putting compost in the front grill so that every time I turned on my air... Yeah, it was horrible. Every time I turned on my air conditioner, my entire car would reek like farm animals. So my friend's theory was that since the boys couldn't top that prank, that they had moved on to more advanced ways of torturing me, switching from automobile warfare to psychological warfare. She further pointed out that I didn't get sent a dozen red roses. I got a half dozen white roses. So it's like, shit, her theory had way more logic and evidence to it than my Joe Alverson theory. So just in case she was right, just in case this entire thing was just a mean prank, I decided that for the rest of the afternoon, I wasn't going to tell anyone else about the white roses. But then came seventh period. 
chemistry too. The one class I had with Joe. So I was like, maybe I could like test him. So I started telling my lab partners about the white roses and not very quietly. So then the whole class started talking about it. Even the teacher was like, oh, Rati, that sounds like a very sweet gesture. But the whole time as everyone was talking about the roses, Joe was dead silent. And to me, that meant that he did send me the roses. I mean, if he was comfortable talking about it in public, he would have just put his name on the damn card. So I skipped out of class, completely convinced that Joe sent me the roses. And as I walked out of the office with my white roses in hand, this giant grin on my face that said to the world, yeah, I'm loved, what? (laughs) Brendan, Dan, and Paul walked by me. And they were snickering. And they go, nice roses, Ratty. And I was like, fuck, maybe it wasn't Joe, maybe it was them. I just didn't know what to believe anymore. Never in my entire life did I think having a secret admirer would be so freaking stressful. I thought this was supposed to be fun. So I just go home and I'm like giving myself a panic attack trying to figure out who the fuck would torture me with such a horrible, horrible thing. And my mom gets home from work and she looks at me and she looks at the roses and she goes, oh good, you got the flowers I sent you. And she takes the white roses and the little glass vase and sets them on the living room table. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, so uh, first of all, just have to have to mention uh, what Ruby Ruby said is definitely going to stick with me. That sequence of "You're too young, you're too short, you're a dog." It's like swiping, swiping, swiping. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. So recently, uh, I started working at a co-working space. That does not mean I'm wealthy. That means that I work for people who work at a co-working space. So I'm not I'm not the person who like has enough money to pay $800 more or more for like a succulent on their desk. Um, but I do get to solve their problems and listen to them on a daily basis. Like my office hurts and stuff like that. Um, so, so that's uh, fun for me. Um, I, I very much uh, pretend to like to listening, listening to people's problems. Uh, so I'm good at that. So uh, a lot of my job is just filtering in complaints and a lot of that eventually leads to as much care and concern as I do genuinely put into it a lot of just kind of like, oh, so there's a, a there's a weird smell in your office. Okay, yeah, give it give it a couple hours. Put the put put the ticket in. A, leave it alone. I'm sure that what you smelled is just like someone's perfume. It's not a big deal. It's Victoria's Secret. Of course, it's gonna smell weird. So anyway, it's like an eight dollar bottle. So I get uh, two complaints in one day, um, which is always a little bit of a red flag. Two different people in the same office tell me that they smell a distinctive odor that is so strong that they have left the office. I was like, okay, eh, probably BS. Probably just need to like put an air conditioner in there, let it air out. It'll be fine. So I alert the cleaning staff, say, hey guys, just to make them feel better, like go in, just clean overnight. It'll be fine. Uh, I myself do not investigate this. I don't like to move if I don't have to. Um, again, back to the depression. Uh, they, so they, I don't know. They go in, they clean, they say they deep clean, they've scrubbed everything, they're like very careful about it, and I very much appreciated that, going to those lengths so that I could tell the customers, the clients, the members, etc., that they, that they had uh, no reason to fear. I happened to, for an entirely different reason, walk down to that floor where the mysterious odor was supposed to be kept. A good 
Six feet away from that office, I was hit with a wave so strong that I actually stepped back when I was already six feet away. So I was like, oh, okay, I was wrong. You're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Okay, God damn it, now I have to do something about the thing. Okay, so I figure I'm like, okay, what do I do? Now somebody smells or something smells and I have to find a way to take care of it. I don't know how, I don't know what it is. I don't want to get any closer. That's disgusting. What if someone died in there? Um, and then, so I, I'm just like, okay, nope, it's fine, you're gonna figure out bravely steal myself to walk into this office. I'm like, it's just a smell. It's just a smell. It's so much of a smell. It's just a smell. Walk in and realize it is very clearly coming from one desk in particular. And I happen to know that the person who sits at this desk is extremely sensitive. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to handle this just with like as much just gentleness and care and kindness as humanly possible so I send her an email that I say I've sent to everybody else but I've only sent to her and I'm just like your office smells weirdly bad for some reason um somebody had an allergic reaction so no more perfume thank you and she I said in the nicest way possible just like hey somebody like just for health hazard's sake like somebody had an allergic reaction so we're asking all of our members to please not wear any perfume in these spaces. Um, she sent me back one of the weakest lies I've ever seen in my life. And yet also, like, easily the most qualified. Like, it's the longest lie I've ever seen. Nobody ever tells a short lie. Nobody ever tells a short lie. Um, if if some, you, know, you know someone is lying when, when, you're, when you gently put something out and they're like, oh, oh, uh-uh, whoever would do that is disgusting. I would never. And then they launch into like a 20-minute tirade about how they would never, ever do that. Anyone who would do that is morally wrong, etc. Um, this applies to uh, many different spheres of human beings. Um, so uh, I finally get, get this email back and I'm just like kind of stunned. She launches into literally a seven-paragraph email about how that is disgusting. It definitely wouldn't be her. And how she feels personally victimized and targeted and is now going to consider taking legal action based on the personal attacks that she's been experiencing. So I'm like, well, you haven't paid your rent in a month and a half, month and a half so I guess you're out of here. Um, it, was one of, it was one of those points at which you're just like, no, don't have to stand for this today. Uh, and so I, I finally just said, like, well, what a shame. I, uh, I received a similar but different uh, email recently. Um, woman tried to just, we just send, just as a courtesy, an email that says, hey, you've got a tour scheduled for today. We're so excited to see you. Here's the address. Here's a place to park. Your tour is at this time today. It's so thoughtful, so simple. Most people disregard it, I'm sure. One person in particular took it upon herself to say, I only got this today, so I'm not coming. Thanks. So I took it upon myself to say, you'll be missed. Thanks. That's the meanest you can get um, over work emails. Um, this next person coming to the stage is an absolute delight. Um, I've, I've seen him perform several times, and um, every time I was just, Shocked. Um, <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Welcome to the stage, Josh Fadum. Uh, hi. Thank you. Okay. So, 
a couple of things about me that uh, uh, seem to somehow inadvertently, whether I did on purpose or not, define me. Uh, one, I'm a Jew. Uh, two, I love dogs. Uh, love that story. Three, uh, I I am very I very much care about hydration. Um, and these are always coming back around. Um, and uh, but the difference uh, with me is uh, I'm a Jew from Oklahoma. There's not a lot of Jews there. And uh, as well, uh, I'm a 36 year old man. Um, uh, and uh, hey, you look young for your age. I know. You know, it's a good thing. I know. But that's a good thing. I know. You you shouldn't worry about whether that's a, a bad thing because that's good if you look young. You've been looking old. I know. Um, but uh, subsequently, if you look young for your age, people don't treat you like your age. So people don't treat me like I'm 36. So I, I'm not complaining, by the way. It's just is just the the nature of the psychology. People don't treat me my age, so I don't act my age. So I don't think I'm my age. So I have a hard time growing up. Um, flashback to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I'm from, where there's not a lot of Jews. And uh, I'm about 16 years old. I went with some friends to like a music show. I got bored. I started walking around downtown. Hey, it's nighttime. Be careful out there, Josh. Okay. Um, and I'm walking around in the parking lot, you know, and it's an empty parking lot. And I'm like, mm, seems all right. I'm just enjoying being by myself. I'm a teenager, you know. And um, I see a car pull around and it kind of seems to be slowing and slowing. I'm like, maybe they're just slowing. There's not too many other cars in this big empty parking lot. And it keeps coming around. I'm like, well, oh, it's gone. And then I see, before I know it, it's behind me. And it's pulled around behind me. And then before I know it, a group of guys are jumping out. And I'm thinking, ooh, this is a, I'm in the wrong spot. And I kind of try to get to the other side of the parking lot, but not before they all kind of jump out. But also, so they do jump out. And they don't actually seem super threatening. They just seem like one of them's kind of doughy. They, one of them's kind of daddy. Uh, one of them's kind of... Uh, that's an adjective, right? And, uh, you know, there's about three or four guys, and they kind of manage to surround me a little, and they're like, hey, hey, how you doing? And I'm like, good. And they're like, uh, yeah, well, uh, yeah, we wondered, you know. We saw you walking around here in the parking lot. It looked like you were kind of all by yourself, wondering what what's all about. And uh, we just want to know, do you know Jesus? <laughs> and this is, by the way, a, a, a very frequent thing growing up in Oklahoma, particularly if you're a Jew. And if you're a Jew, you have the good fortune to just have the dismissal, I'm Jewish. And then they usually will leave you alone. They go, oh, well, Jesus was a Jew. And then that, that kind of will go away from there. In fact, one time I remember I was at the mall, and this guy was like, come on down to the lock-in at the Boston Avenue Church. It's going to be having, it's gonna a great time. they got video games and Bible study and movies and bowling and pizza. And I said, I'm Jewish. And then the guy rips open his shirt, exposes a chai, and goes, me too. Oh, that's, that's Tulsa. But so... um. <laughs> But so I'm there, and the guy, the guys are talking to me, and they're and they're and and uh, I wound up talking to them for like an hour and a half. I don't know why. I just was kind of I don't know. I just didn't have anywhere else to go. And they're like, they were nice. They're like, look, you know, well, good luck, and what are you into? And then I said, I'm into movies. Did I mention that as a defining factor? I also like movies, uh, water, movies, dogs, 
Jew. All right, those are the four. Uh, so those, are, those always seem to come back to my life. Cut to, I say, about, oh, six, seven months later. I'm working at the first job I had at the Cinemark Movies 8 Theater in Tulsa, Oklahoma, 16 years old. And I'm working concessions. It's a busy night, a Friday night. I assume um, Feeling Minnesota or The Fan uh, with Robert De Niro and Wesley Snipes was playing. Um, and uh, that's about the time period I was working there. And uh, I see this one fellow there, and, um, and he looks familiar, and I realize it's one of the guys who surrounded me. And we both kind of lock eyes at the same time and realize we remember who, how we know each other. And he goes, hey, man. How's the film? Meaning, because I said, I like film. And he's like, hey, how's the film? And I said, it's good. And, you know, well, that's great. And he took his popcorn and left. Another detail about Movies 8 is that the manager, uh, Mr. Grimes was his name, uh, wasn't, was, was kind of a jerk. He seemed like a young, hip guy, but he wasn't. And he had the same um, rotating... Uh, mix playing on the speakers that, that was always playing in the same rotating mix and one of the songs on there was this Christian rock band called Jars of Clay oh big Jars of Clay fans here and there's a song uh, there's no reason I would listen to Jars of Clay other than that they rock man uh, but there's a song in there that I'll never forget because it looped constantly and it's something like I don't know the lyrics but it's like if I can buy but the 40 days in a bit down with the crashing waves make me up whoa something like that any, any Jars of Clay fans that sounds familiar this one uh, well that's the song if I can find up for 40 days so I know that song by heart by, I can always spot that song so anyway, uh, so that's my uh, teenage years, right? All right, cut two. A few years later, I've moved to Los Angeles. Still kind of dumb. I'm 21 years old, and I'm dog-sitting for someone uh, who had entrusted me to dog-sit them. The dogs are fine. Don't worry. This don't go in that direction. Uh, but I... I think it's good for you to drink a lot of water. So I'm drinking a lot of water. I got one of those 2.5-gallon tanks of Arrowhead, and I'm thinking, oh, great, this is great. I'm drinking the water. I'm staying up all night. I'm on the Internet of 2001 Internet. By the way, if you go back in time to the 2001 Internet, I highly recommend checking out a website called michaeldouglas.com. That's a website for the actor Michael Douglas. And if you log on in 2001 to michaeldouglas.com, it's a picture of the actor Michael Douglas. And then there's a flash recording that says, hi, welcome to michaeldouglas.com. This is my website. So come on in, surf around, and have a great day. MichaelDouglas.com MichaelDouglas.com I'm an actor, producer, won Academy Awards, Wall Street, one floor of a cuckoo's nest. My dad's Kirk. He's doing great. He had a stroke, but he's doing great. MichaelDouglas.com um, Anyway, so I'm on MichaelDouglas.com. I'm, I'm on AIM. I'm having a great time, and... Uh, I'm clicking away, and I'm drinking a ton of water, and I'm going, whoa, I've had a lot of water. I get down to that, that 2.5-gallon tank airhead. I've got about this much left in the thing, and I'm thinking, oh, shoot, I, uh, I drank a lot. Maybe I'll see if I can finish it, because then I can say I finished it, and that means I win. So, so I keep drinking it, and then i got to go to the bathroom to pee, and it's all clear pee. 
It's all water pee. Then I gotta go back to the bathroom to vomit. It's all water vomit. Then I gotta go back to the bathroom to diarrhea. It's all water diarrhea. And then I gotta go back to the bathroom to pee and then vomit and then diarrhea and pee and vomit and diarrhea and pee and vomit and diarrhea. And then I'm feeling pretty lousy at this point. And uh, my lips start to blur. My fingertips are getting numb. My vision is my lips. My lips go numb. My vision starts to blur. My fingertips go numb. I'm I'm clutching my stomach. Oh, I feel terrible. You know, you can die from that. Yes, I've heard. So. Uh, so I'm clutching my stomach and I'm, and I'm thinking, oh God, what's going to happen? The dogs, I was dog sitting like, oh, you don't look so good. And, uh, um, and, and I don't know who to call cause I was dumb. I don't know who to call or how to ask. It's the middle of the night. It's like four in the morning. I don't know who to ask if I'm going to die. So I called 911 and I, and they say, 911, what's your emergency? And I said, can you die from drinking too much water? And they say, sir, is this an emergency? Uh, I'm trying to find out if you can die from drinking too much water. Say, sir, if it's not an emergency, we'll have to hang up. Um, oh, oh, oh. Do you need a number for an ambulance? Okay. So they give me a number for an ambulance. I call the number for the ambulance, and they say, hello, do you need an ambulance? I go, oh, can you die from drinking too much water? And they say, sir, do you need an ambulance? And they say, I'm trying to find out if you can die from drinking too much water. If you don't need an ambulance, we'll have to hang up. And because I was dumb at this age, didn't quite know, late bloomer, uh, I didn't know the answer to this question, and I asked, uh, I don't know. Does it cost money? And probably because I sounded like I was going to die, they said, no, it doesn't. So they sent an ambulance, and the ambulance guy, the paramedic, comes out to help me. And, uh, and the dogs are like, ooh, you don't look so good. And, uh, and, and he says, sir, you had any cocaine, narcotics, ecstasy, anything like that? I said, no, just water. <laughs> And then I got to the emergency room. They gave me a potassium and a sodium drip. Uh, and then I passed out because it was late. And I flooded my system of electrolytes. And then they said, um, and then they, you know, they said uh, at the, uh, they, I had to pee. I woke up. That's what I was I had to pee real bad. And then, and I took my IV to the bathroom and said, oh, someone got to pee. They made fun of me. Someone got to pee from drinking too much water. Um, and, uh, um, and then the doctor afterwards, he was like, yeah, don't drink so much water. Um, okay, so looks like I gotta wrap up, but I got two. I got two more little pieces of this story that's gonna make it all come together here. Hold the phone. Uh, okay, so cut to about oh eight nine years later. I'm a little more responsible. I'm driving on the freeway, right? Oh, I'm an actor, so I go to auditions. I run into my friend Zach. Serendipity. I run to my friend Zach. How you doing, Zach? We have about a five, ten minute conversation. So I'll see you later. I'm driving on the 110 freeway, and I see this white blob galloping on the freeway. And I go, oh, my God, it's a dog. And I pull over, and I say, pull over, and I'm like, dog. And the dog said, huh? And I said, dog. And then I, there happens to be a patch. This is rough traffic, too, by the way. There happens to be a perfect patch I can pull over. And he tries to run away. He tries to go to the chain link fence, and I'm like, Hey, dog! And then I'm like, and then he gets cornered by this concrete basement. He's like, and I'm like, hmm. And I go back to my car and I grab a sweater, and then I put the sweater out, and uh, and he doesn't bite it. He's, I think, he'd calm down for a few minutes. He goes, well, maybe I ought to take this sweater, and uh, he lets me pick him up. And so then I take the dog back to my apartment, and he's really dirty. And then I give him a bath, and then I take him to the vet, and they scan him for a chip, and then they. Uh, and then uh, the, the, he's got a number. I call the owner. I say, I found your dog. He goes, uh, what dog? And I said, your dog? And he goes, oh, I gave him up a few months ago. This fellow named Tommy Fu. Uh, he gave the fellow, uh, and then of course I tell people that story. And they go, he probably put him on the freeway. Probably, maybe. He goes, oh, I gave him to my aunt who was going to find him a good home. 
Anyway, I said, well, what's his name? And he goes, Bobby. I thought that was a dumb name, so I changed it to Bobby. And then my friend says, or, and, I, and, and my friend is like, you got to keep it. I go, I don't want to keep it. I'm not responsible enough. I can't keep it. He goes, you, listen, he gave this nice speech. He goes, the joys and love that come from having a dog, all those other things start to melt away or something like that. I was like, ah, oh, bullshit. And they said, try it for a week. And then after a day, I'm like, he's my dog. I love him. And he's still here. He's still my best friend. His name's Bobby. Cut two. Four months ago, I'm driving on the two freeway, and I spot a dog on the freeway. I pull over, and the dog is, and the dog's standing there, and he sees me coming up. I'm walking. I'm going, I'm a, I, I do this. Before, I will frequently do this. I, if I see a dog and I can get him, I'll get him. Uh, so I walk to the dog, and the dog kind of jumps in some pine needles and is scared. He limps in there. Oh, he's limping. He's hurt. I managed, and I, and I know, I remember from last time, I took a sweater. I took the sweater out. Picked him up. As I'm picking, it's raining too, by the way. It's raining water. You see where I'm going with this? It's raining. And I pick the dog up, and these cars start pulling over. And, uh, and they're like, hey, are you okay? Because they saw my car was pulled over. And I'm like, yeah. And these guys get out, and they're running up. And they go, are you okay? And I'm picking up the dog. And, uh, and I got the dog. And they're like, What's, what, what happened? I go, oh, I just found this dog. He's limping. I'm going to take him to the vet. And I, you know, I think they're going to say, oh, no, they say, they say, uh, oh, my God, bless you. Oh, my God. And I say, oh, thanks, you know, because uh, I know how great of a guy I am. And uh, so they, they kind of do this weird surrounding type thing. They go, that's so great of you, man. And they're, and they're just surrounding me. And I'm like, they're kind of not letting me walk back to my car. And they're like, hey, man. And, and, and they're like, we're going to pray for you. And I said, ah. Oh. I know what's going on here. And uh, so I kind of go, oh, thanks, guys. And I kind of move through them a little bit, and they start walking with me. Hey, so what do you like to do? Do you know Jesus? And I said, yeah, I know Jesus. And they say, do you know that he rescues people just like you rescue small animals? Trying to relate. Um, so they kind of keep cornering me, and I said, guys, I'd love to stand here on the side of the freeway in the rain and talk about Jesus, but i got to take the dog to the vet. So I take the dog to the vet, and, uh, and then my friend Nick adopted the dog, and he got a little cute cast, and he's doing great. His name is Joe, Bobby and Joe. So, okay, this is the very end. This is the capper, baby. Cut to about a week ago. I've got a lot of movies. I rent a lot of movies, and I... I thought about this movie. I had this idea. Oh, you know, I remembered this movie from the late 90s that's mostly forgotten. It was a studio picture. It was called Hard Rain. <laughs> this guy remembers Hard Rain. Christian Slater, Morgan Freeman. Big budget movie. Disasters were the trend. Thrillers. Rain coming down. And I rent, I go, I'm going to rent Hard Rain and see if Hard Rain is good. I never saw Hard Rain. It's probably good. I mean, Hard Rain. Sounds like a good movie. And, I, and then I didn't get a chance to watch it all, but I left it on for my dog, Bobby. You remember Bobby? I left it on a loop. And then I came home one afternoon, and I had left it on a loop. And I hear in the other room over the credits... If I can find but for 40 days, if a bump and down went to beer, wake me up, whoa. And I said, what? And I went into the other room, and that Jars of Clay song is playing over the credits of Hard Rain. 
And then I fast forward a little through it, and then there's a scene where they get, they're, they're interrogating Christian Slater, and they go, where'd you, where'd you, uh, what, you went and hid in the church? Yeah, I went and hid in the church. What were you doing in a church besides hiding? Or something like that. This is a Christian movie! Um, anyway, the capper to the story is right before I walked in here, I found God. Okay, thank you, I'm Josh Fader. Keep it going for Josh Fadem, folks! It is very clear we have learned three things tonight as we learn at every single show. Water, dogs, movies, that's all that matters. Water, dogs, movies. If there's one thing I want you guys to take home from tonight, by which I mean three things. I know I said one thing. Water, dogs, movies, that's all it is, man. That's all it is. The reason I got out of poetry is because of Poetry Voice. Water, dogs, movies. Man, I thought... And I knew... And you know what? (laughs) Jews. Yeah, I got a full ride to poetry, but I preferred comedy because um, everyone in in poetry was too full of themselves, so I was like, comedy's the place for me. Uh, Yeah, guys, so clearly, uh, like at every show, we've learned a lot. Water dogs, movies, Jews, um, it's important. Thank you very much coming personally speaking. I'm glad that we've spent this time together growing as individuals, finding, losing, finding God, packing and unpacking. Yeah, that's it. Have a great night, guys. Thank you for coming out. See you next month. Well, folks, that's our show. Like I always say, you don't have to stay here, but you can never go home. Catch our next show on Friday, November 11th, the Open Space Cafe in West Hollywood. See you there. <laughs>